And now we say hi to Jack Riccardi. Hi, Jack. Hey, Dennis, good afternoon. Hope you had a good uh, weekend. Hope everybody yes. did. And uh, a good peaceful Memorial Day. And and now here we go. And uh, not only is today Tuesday, uh, but it's hard to believe that it's been a week uh, since we were first hearing uh, right about this time of day. We were just getting the first early details about Uvalde. And, and in, in some ways, it, it doesn't seem like it could have been a week ago. And in other ways, it seems like it was years ago. And it's um, if we look back at where we've where we've been, um, nobody's done anything, but a lot of words have been spoken, a lot of actions have been vowed and promised, and we need to look at what politicians. This is what we're going to do today. We need to look at what politicians are saying, because all they've done so far is talk. Um, and coming up uh, in about uh, 12 minutes, we're going to hear from Congressman Tony Gonzalez, whose district includes uh, Uvalde, and who met with President Biden uh, when the president was in town on Sunday. So we're going to um, hear from him. We've got some questions for him. I want you to hear directly from Congressman Tony Gonzalez. That'll happen here at 420. I, I want to play this for you. This was the president on the White House lawn before he left for Texas on Sunday. And they're already trying to clean this up today and say that um, it may have been a misstatement. But there is there are two things going on in this clip that I'm about to play. There is ignorance about guns, and there is revelation of true aims, what the real, you know, name of the game is. The mask didn't just slip here. The mask fell completely off. Cut number four. Listen to this. They showed me an x-ray. He said a 22 caliber bullet will lodge in a lung. And we can probably get it out. We may be able to get it and save the life. A 9 millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high caliber weapons is that there is simply no rational basis for it in terms of about self-protection, hunting. I mean, I just remember the Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. There's a lot in there. Um, I don't know what, by what definition of high caliber you would include a nine millimeter round. It's it's certainly larger than some, like a twenty two. Um, but I don't think most people who have a nine millimeter believe they are carrying a high caliber uh, weapon. I guess what it, it's kind of a middle caliber. Um, it is an extremely popular, statistically uh, extremely popular size. For example, according to Shooting Industry Magazine, nine millimeter pistols, which is exactly what the president is talking about there on the White House lawn, accounted for fifty-seven percent of all handguns sold in the United States in twenty nineteen. It's very popular with women because it's easy to handle and conceal. It's very popular with law enforcement. It's likely that some of the people around Joe Biden, when he said that, uh, were carrying 9 millimeters. So they're popular and they're ubiquitous. And he's talking about there's no reason for them. We don't need them. So that is a very clear and much more sweeping statement than talking about assault weapons or running to revise the assault weapons ban of the 90s, which is a whole separate discussion. We've had it before. We can have it again about the overhyped 
performance, alleged performance of the assault weapons ban. But this is a, a mask falling off on the ground moment from President Joe Biden. He's not just coming after rifles or bump stocks or uh, or exotic exotica. Uh, he's coming after the handguns that millions of Americans, law-abiding Americans, uh, carry. And this is important because one of the ways our political system works is we have to see the people we sent to Washington or Austin doing what we sent them to do. So the gun control politicians in most cases were sent from places where they want gun control. And so those guys and gals are going to stand up for things that the voters who elected them want them to do. It's important in this moment, if we elected representatives, senators, state lawmakers, and we do not want gun control, it's equally important that we see them stand up and be steadfast in the moment. It's healthy if both sides come to the table with clear intentions and we duke it out. We debate it. We have it out. We see who has the votes. Um, I'm a little worried right now. I got to be honest with you because I think Republicans are cowed by this moment. I don't think they're, I don't think they're as steadfast in defense of the Second Amendment as people that want to come after all the nine millimeter handguns are in their steadfastness. Maybe I'm wrong. You can tell me if you think I am. But I think the president's making it harder to pass gun control. Because he's talking about things that are a much heavier lift. If you're if you're talking about beefing up sentences for gun traffickers, I think that's an easy sell. Uh, if you're talking about raising the age to buy certain weapons, I don't think that's a hard sell. But I think it's a non-starter for most of the other things they're going to vote on later this week when you've got a president of the United States on the White House lawn speculating about the most broad-based gun control we've ever talked about in this country. This goes beyond anything Joe Biden has ever said before. It goes beyond anything other Democratic leaders have said before. Joe Biden's message on the White House law on Sunday was he wants a lot more gun control than he's claimed in the past. And about it blowing out the lung and wanting guns where the, the bullets can be extracted, when you're using a firearm to stop a threat, it's understood that you want deadly force. We're not playing tag. I think to hear Joe Biden and other politicians talk about guns is to hear people that have been protected by others carrying guns their whole lives or most of their lives. They do not understand the motivation of Americans who legally, carefully, responsibly own guns. And they're not interested in learning it. It's not like they would like to have a meeting with you and gain an understanding of that. You don't need that. We're coming for that. That blows out of the water all of the things we could do that people are broadly in agreement on. We could do mental health. We could do tougher sentencing. We could hold more responsibility, and, and make our society more of a responsibility-based society. That's got to be part of this discussion. But if you watch where it's going one week in, it's going for the gun. They don't want to hear about anything else.
Does it seem to you like nothing else matters but the gun? When, when you look at what we've learned, the body of what we know so far about the Uvalde killer and the uh, events around this shooting a week ago, does, does the gun seem like the only thing that made it possible? Does the gun seem like the only thing that went wrong? I'm asking, seriously, sincerely. Then I noticed um, Canada today is in the news. The Canadian Prime Minister is in the news because he's proposing new uh, gun control and specifically control on the sale of handguns in Canada. They would freeze uh, almost all transactions in what would be the most ambitious attempt yet in Canada. He didn't specifically mention Uvalde, but he talked generally about the the current climate of gun violence, and it's his duty as Canadian Prime Minister to take action. And there are people now saying, why can't we do what Trudeau is doing? Why can't we do what Canada is doing? And I'll tell you why we can't. You're not going to like it, but I'll tell you anyway. Because Canada is a permission-based society. Most governments, most countries are. If you own a gun in most countries, you own it with the forbearance of the permission of the government. And that's absolute power. That's a government with a people. In this country, the way it's supposed to work is you have a right. And that right is not negotiable. That right is not doesn't fluctuate with what's in the news. It doesn't change with the headlines. It doesn't change with people's moods. That's what makes it a right. It, it, think of any other right, and you quickly recognize that the most important part of it is that it's absolute. That's what makes it a right. That's the difference between a right and a permission. We're a rights-based society. If we forget that, or we lose the meaning of that, we will become a permission-based society. And you may not care about guns, but I guarantee there's some other right you absolutely want. And you won't have. Because we'll be a permission-based society. Yeah, we'll be like everybody else. 210-599-5555. But right now is an important time, I think, for the people who've been elected to represent a district, a region, a state, to remember who sent them. And it just seems to me like one side clearly gets that, and the other side I'm not so sure about. I want to be sure. Congressman Tony Gonzalez was with President and Mrs. Biden on their visit to San Antonio and Uvalde, and he joins us now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Congressman, I know it's a very busy time for you. Thank you for coming on this afternoon. Uh, good, happy to be back on, Jack. Thank you for having me. Um, I, I have to ask you, I watched the interview that you did with Ken's Five, and um, you talked about the time you spent with the president. You talked about the things you told him this community needs. I want to get into that, and I thought it was a very worthy list. I noticed that the anchor kept asking you if you have changed any of your positions on the Second Amendment or gun control 
in the last week or with recent events. Can I just ask you for a yes or no answer? Have you changed any of your positions? I've been very consistent where I'm at, and I think everyone is like I'm conservative in who I am, and I think that's exactly where I'm going to be. Um, you know, I, 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 as I said in that interview, I support the Constitution. I support the Second Amendment. And I think what you're seeing right now is you've got folks that want to use this tragedy to further their agenda. I mean, it's very clear that, you know, the, 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 there's a segment that has wanted to take away guns for a long time. And, and that's uh, sadly that they're using this to, to, in order to do that. I, I have no interest in that. You know, I, I believe in the Constitution and those that that can, you know, uh, uh, legally possess firearms. Do I think we need to have a conversation on what is happening in, the, in our country? Yes, we need to have a very deep conversation. I'm willing to have that with anyone who wants to have that conversation. But what I am not willing to do is to infringe on our Second Amendment rights. Well, so the the House is going to vote on some things, I believe, Thursday. Uh, there's eight gun-related bills. They're calling it the Protecting Our Kids Act. It includes raising the age from 18 to 21 for some guns. It includes um, registering existing bump stocks, uh, bars the manufacture, sale, or possession of new bump stocks, uh, cracks down on ghost guns. Uh, it it uh, affects the transfer uh, or possession of certain so-called high capacity magazines. I just I'm trying to understand: are you are you open to any of those things where you might not have been before? Because it's a yes or no question, right? Yeah, no. I, I will. Like we're still we're still combing through it all. But I'll tell you, I'm a no. I'm a no. And they're not trying. Uh, they're not trying to have a conversation and go, how do we prevent, you know, uh, another uh, uh, senseless, violent act in our schools from occurring? That's not the conversation, Jack. The conversation is we want to do all these things. But, oh, by the way, they, there haven't been any uh, hearings or any discussion on it. It's just, hey, we have the high ground, right? We have the House. We have the Senate. We have the White House. And we were going to shove this down your throat. You know, I mentioned, you know, you mentioned earlier about mental health. I've been jumping up and down going, hey, can we start here? You know, instead of, hey, can we start where you take my guns away or not? Can you can we start with mental health? And and I'm going to continue to push on that route. But I mean, I'll, I'll be honest right now, the package that they're putting together, it, it, it saw it. The package that they're putting together would not have prevented duality from occurring. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm focused on. I'm looking at, hey, how do we prevent, uh, one, how do I strengthen my community as we get through this? Hell, we, I just got done with a funeral. I mean, can we, can we bury our dead before, you know, the, the politics starting, the, the long-night mm-hmm. politics start coming out? Uh, but as you know, I mean, there's this segment that they don't care about that. This is that one thing. This is an agenda item, and, and they're just looking to take advantage of an agenda item. So – you say you asked President Biden for three things during his visit to Uvalde. What were those three things? Yeah, first I asked him uh, leading up to it to go, you know, Mr. President, I, I don't mind hosting you and I want your day to be successful. But, you know, please keep politics out of it. You know, we're trying to heal. There'll be a, a moment for that. Please not make it about that. And I would say he honored that, uh, you know, a, kind of a fact-finding mission. Three things I asked him for was uh, – 25 million dollars for a mental health hospital 
I, I appropriated two million two million uh, last year. We, so we need twenty three million. I asked him for thirteen and a half million for uh, a com- uh, communication radio, so everyone in the county can be on the same network. Some of the the, the misinformation or disinformation that's going around is you had. Uh, different agencies on different networks. We all need to be on the same network, uh, radio network. And then the last thing I asked him for was a, a new uh, emergency operations center. And, you know, there's over 200 law enforcement officers from across the state, and they're operating out of an old museum, uh, aviation museum. So those are the three things in particular that I said, hey, look, I'm glad you came. I appreciate you coming. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you were able to, to kind of listen to folks. But if you now we need action. And here's three things that makes sense that we need to we need to act on. Mm-hmm. When you heard the governor say last week that he was misled by local officials, um, what do you know about that? And, and, and do you agree that he was? You know, anytime you have a situation that is uh, that is unexpected like this, there's so many things flying. I, I would say. I get my information differently than some of these other elected officials. I mean, I know these people, Jack. I mean, I, I know them personally. So, I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, when I got the, the text message that there was an active shooter alert, literally two minutes after I got that, one minute after, as soon as I got that, I'm calling the sheriff. And he answers. And I go, hey, is this real? And he goes, hey, Tony, I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle of this thing. Can I call you back? So that told me it was real. What I'm getting at is I think people are getting their information from different places and uh, they don't have all the, the full facts yet. Um, a lot of my information, all of my information has come from direct source people on the ground, in the room, in the stack, in the hallway, uh, at the at the, the hospital, uh, you know, or the ambulance that was running people back and forth. So it's a little bit different. Well, um we're, we're going to see a federal investigation. We've got the Ranger investigation. Um, the it, it seems like local authorities have already decided they're they're being thrown under the bus here and and don't want to cooperate with the Ranger investigation. Um, I guess I'm I'm wondering who do you trust to get to the bottom of things like. Uh, lapses of security at the school and uh, maybe response time and not breaching the door of the classroom. Who do you trust, Congressman? Yeah, no, uh, I, I, you know, I, I actually was literally just, I'm in Uvalde right now, and I just left, uh, uh, you know, some folks that, that I, I would say are cooperating with the Rangers and will cooperate with the Rangers. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, I'm a cryptologist. I trust the data. You know, people people have no problems lying to you, but will a camera, you know, if there's body camera uh, footage, will that lie to you? If there's a timestamp of when folks called in, will that lie to you? But I, I'll give you an example. I mean, look, the, 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 the sheriff, uh, you know, when he, he didn't get a 911 call to the grandmother's house that was shot by the assailant, uh, someone in the hey, I shot over here, I think someone shot, and that's how he showed up. So, I mean, these are some of the, the, the details that haven't made it out just yet. But I think at the end of the day, look, we got to look at this. I'm a father. You know, we're, a, lot, a lot of us are fathers and mothers. We have to make sure that our kids are safe. 
Yeah, con- Congressman, we're we're losing the uh, cellular connection with you, and I apologize for that. But I appreciate the time we did have with you. Thank you for making time for us. I hope we can t- we can uh, talk to you uh, again. It's a busy time and a lot of cell traffic down around Uvalde. Congressman Tony Gonzalez was with us on the KTSa Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. We'll get you in here. Here being KTSa. Jack Riccardi, Tuesday late afternoon. Who do you trust? Somebody's got to delve into all these questions uh, about the school, about security, about the response, about did they wait, why did they wait, should they have waited, could they have done more, could they have gone sooner? Was the timeline, is the timeline that we're hearing really what happened? Who do you trust? You trust the DOJ, Department of Justice? You know, in your grandparents' time, that would have been the, the final word. Okay, the, the, we're, going with the, we're going with the big guys. J. Edgar Hoover's FBI, okay. I don't know if today, and I'm not trying to tell you what to think, I, I, I don't know if today that's a very widespread feeling. I don't know that there's a, a majority of Americans who would go, well, whatever the... U.S. Department of Justice finds is going to be okay with me. Is it the Texas Rangers? And I think there's some real questions there, too. Again, the Rangers have an incredible history, and, and we're rightly proud of them. But I, I, I wasn't... I, I don't know what to make of, of Mr. McCraw's uh, news conference. I really don't. I don't know who to believe. And yet, in the end, there's going to be an official report. Will that be persuasive? Will there be, well, I think we know the answer to this, myriad conspiracy theories, people making videos, here's what happened, here's what, I've, here's what I found out, here's what they don't want you to know. What do you think? 210-599-5555. And if it's not... Department of Justice, and if it's not the Rangers, and if it's not the local law enforcement, who would you trust? Is there anyone you would trust to delve into this and say, okay, here, here's the, here are the facts, here's what happened when, here's what was supposed to happen versus what did? 210-599-5555. Why is the Uvalde Police Department and the school district police no longer cooperating with DPS. That's what ABC is reporting. I don't know if it's true, but if that's true, why are they not? Why would they not be cooperating? Do they feel like they're being thrown under the bus? They feel like the fix is in. We're going to get the. We're, they're going to blame us. You know the old saying about what rolls downhill. Two ten five nine nine fifty five fifty five. As you listen to Congressman Gonzalez. Does he sound as steadfast to you as the other side does? And by the other side, I mean the politicians, the media figures that are saying, that's it, we're taking the guns, you have no ground to stand on, how dare you, time has come. I want to play a clip for you, because he's not a political leader, but millions of Americans watch this show and watch this woman, and... um, I think it's safe to say she speaks for a lot of people. I, I, I mean, 
I want you to hear what she says, and I'm not endorsing any of what she says, but you need to know that she speaks for a lot of people when she says it. Whoopi Goldberg, like President Biden, isn't hiding the ball after Uvalde. This is what she said on The View, uh, cut number six. Take a listen to this. This AR-15's got to go. Gotta I'm go. sorry. It's, it's got you know, to go. Because... You know, I think about those t- the, the people up in Buffalo who are still suffering because they still can't go shop anywhere because nobody will bring a supermarket where these folks are living. Mm-hmm. There is too much at stake here. Too many lives have been at stake yeah. and too many damn little kids. I'm sick of seeing people talk about, well, we should do something. No, we should do something. And I don't care, NRA. You got to give that gun up. You can have your other yeehaw guns, whatever you want. The AR-15 is not a hunting gun. It is not a gun where you're going to go out and shoot your dinner. This gun is meant to kill people. That's what it's for. And you can't Mm. have it anymore. Mm. Um, It's like it's a shock to them that people buy guns in order to kill people. Ultimately, that is what a self-defense weapon is for. Yes, it's to kill the person attacking my family, coming into my home, coming at me. It's not a it's not it's not a game of tag. Um all of the people who bring these arguments forward are protected by professionals who would kill to protect them. They don't have to think about it because someone is going to do it for them. Yeehaw guns. That's what she thinks of you. But I'm not picking on Whoopi. I'm not singling her out. We have the audio of her. We have her on tape. But there's a lot of people who think that way. You people down there in Texas. What is the matter with you? They don't want to hear about you people in Chicago or New York or Buffalo. or What's going on there? You've got all the gun laws. You've passed all the gun laws you wanted there. You got it on the books just the way you, you've always said it should be. That's, a, that's a, an environment you are in complete control of. And it doesn't look like a very safe place. In fact, it looks like it's spinning out of control. 210-599-5555. So a lot of things here we can get into, and we will, on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Mary is on the radio. Mary, good afternoon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I just wanted to mention, I know I've heard it several times where somebody said, well, why did they leave? Why did one of the teachers leave the door open? Or why did somebody lift the door open? It was two days before the end of school. My daughter was a teacher for over 20 years. She said that, yes, they do that because they're taking their stuff out. They have to get it off the floor or whatever for them cleaning crews and a lot of stuff they have to take home for the summer. So, and you know, and they just don't, I'm sure they just weren't thinking security-wise when they're leaving a door open, propping it open so they can go back and forth to their cars. Well, Mary, I don't think anybody is alleging that the uh, door was left open for evil purposes, but for all the, for all the, hold hold on, Mary, because I I let you have your say. I'd like to have mine now. For all the talk we've heard from schools about how they've learned the lessons of Columbine, it's just not acceptable to prop open an exterior door 
during the school day while the children are there. You, you can give me the reason why you did it, but as a parent, I'm going to tell you that's not an acceptable thing to do while the kids are in school, okay? I totally agree with you there, and my daughter even agrees. She All she's saying is that I know what happened. They pressured okay. the teachers to hurry up and get your stuff out. Okay. Well, I, 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 I'm sorry that they pressured the teachers, yeah. but that's that's an inexcusable lapse you're by right. whoever made it. Yep, you're right, but it happens in every single school this time of the year, and that's unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope it happens a lot less after this. Well, I hope it happens a lot less after this because I hope maybe people think about this the next time they go to do it. You and me both. All right, Mary, thank you for the call. Uh, 210-599-5555. You know, I I, I, I'll be honest, I didn't think a lot about this over the weekend because, you know, it was the weekend. But when I think about this whole thing that happened, it just seems to me like there's many different facets to it. And and if we're going to come together and put our heads together, we would be discussing numerous vectors, right? The, the door, the response, um, the red flags, the, all of that. But the people sitting across the table from me with whom I'm supposed to put my head together have one thing. The gun. And I, I, I find that interesting because I remember times in the past when that side also cared about mental health, when that side also cared about society and children and social media and what's happening to them. But they, after an incident like this, they go into one-issue mode. It's the gun. And I know why. Because if they were ever going to get what they've always wanted, it would be after something like this. I'm not saying they welcome it. I'm not saying they they made it happen. I'm not saying that. But they realize, after something like Uvalde, a door has literally been propped open. Not the door Mary was talking about. The door into people's souls and consciences. And they're hoping that people on the other side of the gun debate We'll, we'll leave the door open. Maybe out of a sense of, of sadness or remorse or guilt or uh, uh, wanting to be kind and, and seem reasonable. That's what they're hoping. Co- they call it common sense gun laws. Like the, like the laws we have now are, are bereft of all common sense. That's what's happening here. There wasn't just a door propped open at Robb Elementary School. There's a door that's been propped open in this national, ongoing, never-ending conversation. And all I ask is that if you were sent by people, if you were sent to Congress, if you were sent to your legislature by people that want to take the guns, then by all means, do your thing. Be, Be true to who sent you. But if you were sent by people who don't want that, be true to that. Be as steadfast to that. That's what I hope is going to happen here. And then I'm, I'm willing to accept what will happen, what will come from this. But if, if my side, I hate to put it that way, we should all be on the same side, but if, if the side that favors the Second Amendment loses heart or isn't so sure or wants to signal moderation or compromise, 
then I would be worried. Then you should be worried. Jack Riccardi on 550 and 107.1 KTSA. Question on the JR poll. Who do you trust to investigate the Uvalde response? Uh, who would be the authority? You could have faith in whatever they reported, whatever they found. Is there anyone? Maybe there isn't anyone. Maybe we've come to that. And um, and then I want to get into a little bit more about the... Um, the response time and you know i'm listening to congressman gonzalez say and i and i think in good faith that he wants to have better comms for law enforcement agencies uh do you think that what happened and we don't know and it's probably too early to say but just from what we've heard so far do you think what happened was fog of war stuff confusion or was it worse than that and by worse than that i mean that it would be one thing if they were in that hallway and the kids are in that room and they're not going in and then all of a sudden the tactical team from Border Patrol shows up and goes right in. I mean, it'd be one thing if that was bad comms or confusion, but but I, I'm wondering how much of the culture is changing because of the mixed messages we are all sending about law enforcement. So everyone is saying now they should have been bold, they should have acted immediately. But when have you heard people call for bold police action in the last few years? You've heard everything but, right? You've heard all this nuanced crap about, uh, you know, uh, intentions and and systemic racism. And, you know, I, I wonder... I don't think these were bad men and women who responded, but I really wonder what were they thinking about? Maybe they shouldn't have been thinking at all, but what were they thinking about if they hesitated? Charles is on 550 and 1071 KTSA. Charles, good afternoon. Good afternoon, sir. Hope you're having a good day. Sir, on the what do I believe? I believe we need to wait till all three reports out from the FBI, Texas Rangers, and the local police and if they're all transparent and telling the truth, they should be all pretty much the same timeline and story and events. But then if you start getting different stories because one organization wants to throw you under the bus, that's all right. So if they're different, who would you trust? If they're different, then they're going to be. You know they are. Then who would you trust? Yes, sir. I know they're all. And that's when I have to take all three reports and do it personal eval. Being that, you know, I was in 24 years in the military, I have to look at, okay, what what are we looking at here? You know, are we, did they know there was only one shooter? Did they know where he was at in the classroom? Things like that, you know. But that's when I okay. have to sit back myself as a grown man who's been through a lot and say, okay, who do I believe? I have to see all the reports and make my own judgment, you know. Even not knowing exactly what was going on in the classroom, uh, what do you? How do you feel about the, the the waiting? Well, the waiting, I believe, should have been a little bit more quick response, especially if they're getting reports as they show up. And there's one guy in that classroom. They knew when they hit the ground that there was one man. There was the teachers are already screaming, one man in that classroom. You know, they somebody should have stepped up. And okay. made the that decision, you know. I think we lost Charles. Charles, thank you. I appreciate the call. Good afternoon, Jack. 
Good afternoon, Dennis. And you uh, you actually pointed this out to me. This is an ABC News story. Um, it says the Uvalde Police Department and the Uvalde Independent School District Police Force are no longer cooperating with the Texas Department of Public Safety's investigation into the massacre at Robb Elementary School and the state review of the law enforcement response. Multiple law enforcement sources tell ABC News. Do you do you know any more about that? Other like through your back channels or anything? Not officially, no. Um, though it's mostly due to, uh, according to ABC sources, that um, it's in reaction to what the director of DPS, Steve McCraw, uh, said about uh, the decision making process that it was the wrong one during that process. Um, but to me, it was also a little telling that. There were two news conferences last week involving the school district, and they were just two-minute statements, more or less. Um, so this is kind of in line with all that. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 obviously a, a newbie to all this. I've never been involved in law enforcement, never worked in law enforcement. I it doesn't sound good to me that a law enforcement agency would stop cooperating with another state with another law enforcement agency like aren't you guys all on the same exactly yeah exactly and so whatever people thought before about the response and you heard uh colonel mccraw i believe he's a colonel say um that it was a it was the wrong decision i believe were his words to not proceed into the classroom uh it doesn't do them any favors if now they're seen as not participating in or cooperating with the investigation. So anyway, thank you, Dennis, for pointing that out. So that's that goes into what we're talking about in this question on the Stevens Roofing JR poll. Who do you trust to investigate Uvalde? And your your instincts might be that you, you would always trust the people who were there and the people who, um, this is their town, these are their kids, this is their school, Um they will live with this forever, and I and I believe that about the men and women of, of Uvalde PD. I mean, they'll, they'll never forget this. They'll never forget this day, whether they were part of the response or not. They will never forget this day. You want to believe that everybody wants this to be clean and, and clear, and you wonder. Maybe when he said what he said last, I think it was Friday, uh, that signal to them that they were being, um, I don't know, scapegoated. But we, what I'm wondering and what I'm asking you, I guess, is do you believe we will have a version of events that you will believe? A timeline and an explanation that you will believe? Or do you think this just ends the way a lot of things do nowadays? It seems like most things do nowadays, just in sort of a haze of competing theories, and there's one thing on Fox, and there's a different thing on CNN, and I don't know. I have people say this to me all the time. Jack, is it, where, where do you go to just find out what happened? You know, I just want A, B, C, one, two, three. I just want the, just, is there a place I can, and, and I, I always have to tell them, well, no, there's no one place you can go to do that. If you're trying to get the the straight, you know, explanation or skeleton of an event an election an issue you're going to have to go to a lot of different places and piece together bones yourself but you and i aren't going to conduct our own investigation into uvalde so who would you trust if there is anyone you would trust 210-599-5555 
55. And, I, and you know, let me play this for you. This is, um, this is a CNN uh, reporter who is playing audio from Border Patrol radio, which I thought was different. I hadn't heard this piece before. I want you to hear this. This is a CNN reporter named Nick Valenzuela. Cut number nine. Listen to this. We obtained this video from an individual who did not want to be identified, but says that he began recording it on his Facebook Live. And you could hear in this recording a clip of an adult being told by a child that they had been shot. Now, according to this individual that was part of radio traffic of Customs and Border Protection, it is unclear why that would be on the radio traffic between CBP agents, but the individual who recorded the video said as soon as agents realized he could overhear, they turned down that video now before or that uh, that radio call. Now, before we show you this video, we want to warn you that this could be very difficult for some of our viewers to watch. Are you injured? Oh my God! So, um, this is difficult. There are children wounded, bleeding. Some are dead already. Some may be dying. They are calling, this we know, we don't know how many or or exactly what was said, but we know that there were calls from inside the classroom made by kids. Kids would be the only ones who could make the call since the teacher uh, the teacher had been killed. Um, and they're calling for help. I mean, the kids were had the presence of mind. One, one little girl had the presence of mind to smear blood on herself so that the shooter would think she was already dead. They hid. They were resourceful. They were fighting to live. They were calling adults because when you're a little kid, you're, you're told, you're trained, find an adult, find a helper. They will come. What is going on while that is going on? And then you have the video, and I don't know if it's concurrent, but we've all heard or seen the video of the parents outside the school pleading for action, pleading to be let in, being restrained by law enforcement from going in. There was a um, question at the news conference about the 19 officers, I'm not sure what agencies, in the hallway outside room 12. And the question was, uh, what efforts were made to try to break through the door? It was locked. What efforts were the officers making? The answer was none at that time. So this is either... And I've had people say to me, Jack, you've got no business talking about this, and how dare you, and I'm never going to listen to you again, and that's fine too. Either this is appalling to us because we don't understand what they do and how they do it, or it's appalling to us because it's appalling. And that's why there has to be somebody who you would trust to analyze that and and break that down. A lot of email about this. Uh, R.H. writes, I'm a law enforcement officer in San Antonio. Since Columbine, we've been trained to neutralize the threat ASAP on active shooters. Don't know what the school officers were thinking. Uh, this is from JB. Jack, I'm listening to your caller last, this was Friday, who was Alaska State Police. 
Uh, I'm DPS of 18 years. We're trained in active shooter, just like your caller said, to run toward the threat and eliminate it. If you're taking fire, you don't retreat but engage because there are children at stake. Our training is honestly preparing us for a suicide mission, but that's fine with me and with everyone I train with. That training has not changed. And when I looked at the video of parents being held back by local police, I also saw DPS troopers standing in the background. I'm just as infuriated as everybody else, he writes. Uh, Lynette writes, Jack, every adult at Robb Elementary has a responsibility to keep each child safe, from the janitor to the lunch ladies to the teachers. These adults ignored a door that would not lock. I'm a former teacher, and we had to report issues that would potentially put our students at risk. Student uh, Schools, she writes, have to control what they can control, access. You transfer the risk by putting in controls because there will always be things you cannot control like wackos who want to kill kids. I'm disgusted, writes Lynette. Uh, this one's from Joe. Uvalde is my hometown, and with all the media coverage of people getting on their soapboxes, I have two questions. For Steve Kerr, is the NBA going to donate $1 or $2 billion a year to protect our schools? All professional sports leagues are going to pitch in. All universities also. Second, for President Biden, why not defund Planned Parenthood and use that money for school security as well? That way even more children are protected, asks Joe. We have the news that the jury has acquitted former Hillary Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman in the case brought by special prosecutor or uh, special uh, investigator, I should say, John Durham. Michael Sussman was a lawyer who had a lot of Democratic ties and had worked for Hillary Clinton. Uh, and he was acquitted of the charge that he lied to the FBI about having no client uh, involved in um, what he was talking to them about. So in a meeting that he had with the FBI, uh, he's accused of falsely telling uh, them that he was not there on behalf of any client. He was, in fact, working for both Mrs. Clinton's campaign and a tech exec who had brought him the tip about Alpha Bank and the Trump-Russia collusion story. Professor William Jacobson from Cornell University and LegalInsurrection.com joining us on the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker Line. What do you, what do you read into this uh, pretty quick jury acquittal, Professor Jacobson? Well, I think what you read into it is that if you're a lawyer for Hillary Clinton in the Democratic National Committee, D.C. is a pretty good place to go to trial if you're a defendant. Uh, yeah. That's what I read into it. I think that the profile of the jury was completely outrageous in terms of fairness because the prosecutions are entitled to a fair trial as well as the defense. And you had, I think, three, maybe four people who had donated mm. to the Hillary Clinton campaign in a case involving the Hillary Clinton campaign activities. Uh, you had another juror who had came out, I think, in the middle of the trial or after the trial had started, uh, had a child who was on the same um, sports team as Sussman's, one of Sussman's kids. I mean, and a judge did not dismiss the juror. So mm-hmm. it's very bizarre, uh, you know, uh, so there's that aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that, you know, the big story here is really how Hillary Clinton and her campaign and the DNC completely, um, uh, you know, damaged our political process for multiple years with two false stories, only one of which was at issue in this trial, the so-called Alpha Bank leak 
but they're also the campaign and the DNC also uh, paid for and put together the uh, Steele dossier with the outrageous accusations there. So, I mean, Hillary Clinton did so much damage to this country that for years we were dominating, dominated by, you know, tra- tracking down disinformation that she put out there. And that's come to light. But that may not be a crime. And, that, and that's what's, I think, so frustrating is the, the only thing they seem to have been able to get somebody on is Sussman for lying to the FBI about the role he was playing. Uh, you know, that, I, you know, we have to be honest, was a fairly slender read on which mm-hmm. to prosecute somebody. I wanted to ask you, because, I mean, I, I've never been in this situation. I have no idea. Um, does an attorney representing client Smith have room to do things that he's doing on his own, but that might also benefit client Smith? And could you give a truthful answer that said, well, I'm not here for Client Smith, even though he knows what he's doing is beneficial to Client Smith. Yeah, I think you can. And I think that was, like I said, a kind of slender read on which to prosecute somebody because there could be a nuance to it that two people could look at the same set of facts and say, I'm not here on behalf of the Clinton campaign or on behalf of a client, but I might be billing time to that client. I mean, so, like I said, it was... I'm not the greatest case to have to have brought. Um, I think based on the evidence that came out, I think the jury should have found that Sussman lied. Uh, but it also had to be not just a lie; it had to be material to what the FBI is doing. You know, if, if the FBI asks you what you had for lunch, okay, and you had a burger, but you actually had a hot dog, you know, maybe you lied to the FBI, but that has nothing to do with anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and here, the other problem was. Did any, did any, and I think the defense argued this, did anybody really believe that the FBI officials who knew Sussman, knew his background, knew who he worked for, really thought that he was there just because he wanted to do good? Uh, and so I think uh, on multiple levels, this was a t- tough prosecution made nearly impossible by the jury pool and a judge who let them stay on, which was mm-hmm. completely outrageous. Would you also agree that it might have been hampered by the sloppiness of the FBI's investigation? In terms of the investigation of... Um, well, I mean, Clinton. materiality, is, I guess, is relative to how useful it was to the FBI's investigation, which was pretty sloppy. Yeah, I mean, what the, the, the FBI was kind of greeting any information that could be negative to Trump with open arms. So, you know, I think that goes again to the materiality that the FBI seemed to, you know, be willing to listen to anybody who had was able to dish dirt about Donald Trump. So I think that was a problem. The FBI does not come across looking very well here. Just another, you know, tarnish on the FBI's Mm. reputation. They were not heroes here. Okay. And, uh, so I think it was just a tough prosecution. I don't know if it's the best Durham have had. It's the only thing he had. But if this is all it is, it was pretty thin. I know that technically he can go forward, but as a practical matter, does it make it harder for him to go forward, meaning that this will probably encourage less cooperation with the Durham team rather than more now that they've seen him you know, fall flat in court? Well, I... You know, he's been going there for a couple of years. So I think that if there 
are people who are going to cooperate with him, they're probably doing it already. And the people who refuse to cooperate are probably going to continue to refuse. I think what would have been interesting and perhaps what Durham, Durham was hoping is that Sussman, faced with a potential conviction, would essentially spill the beans on everything he knows. And uh, that didn't happen, and now that won't happen because he's been found not guilty. I can't believe that this lie is really the culmination or what Durham hoped would be the culmination Mm -hmm. of his investigation. You know, special counsels don't have a great track record in recent years. You get the feeling that if this one peters out, too, do you think that will lessen demands for special counsels in the future? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I mean, his investigation has revealed a lot that's extremely important. We now know the damage and the subterfuge and the disinformation campaign that paralyzed our government for most of Trump's term. Uh, was the result of fake information created and spread by Hillary Clinton with her approval about Donald Trump. I mean, she really, uh, you know, if not already, needs to go down as one of the most manipulative, destructive politicians we've ever seen. I mean, you know, I know, your listeners know how Russia collusion dominated everything Mm -hmm. for years. And it Mm -hmm. all started with Hillary Clinton. Well said. Professor William Jacobson, LegalInsurrection.com, and appreciate your time tonight. Thank you. Well, there was a period of time in the 1980s where it was like... um, it was like the law. If you were making a movie, you had to hire Kenny Loggins. <laughs> they wouldn't allow a movie without Kenny Loggins. And he was great, right? He had Caddyshack and Footloose and and Top Gun. Top Gun Maverick has crushed the Memorial Day movie money record. Uh, it is projected at this moment to have earned something in the neighborhood of $160 million over the weekend in the United States and closing in on $280 million worldwide. And people in the movie business say this is ridiculous. I mean, this was way beyond what anyone expected. Did you see Top Gun Maverick? I did. Been to, I had not been to a movie in three years, almost three years. I think you know why. <laughs> but anyway, um, I, I'll, I'll be honest so that you know where this is coming from. I don't like Tom Cruise. I, he, he makes my skin crawl. I don't, I don't like him. I'm not trying to get you to dislike him. If he's your fave. If you've got your, his poster up, I'm just telling you where I'm coming from. So I start with this. I don't like Tom Cruise. If Tom Cruise is in a movie, generally I will not go to see it. Um, this movie is incredible. If a sequel can be better than the original, and that's really hard to imagine, this one might be better than the original. I have to say that with the caveat that the original was a long time ago. I mean, it it shouldn't, it shouldn't have happened, right? I mean, he's, he's like in his mid fifties, um, 
times have changed, everything's changed, the planes have changed, the, the country's changed. But this movie just seamlessly picks up uh, where Top Gun left off. And here's the thing that I think, so when I went to see it, I, I did not know that it was going to have all these box office records. The movie theater I was in wasn't even all full. But I'll tell you what I think happened here, and then I want to get your thoughts if you've seen the movie. I think Hollywood made a movie that is about military service, patriotic, the portrayal of military service is positive and realistic, and people love it. Did it kill you, Hollywood, to make this movie? Was it hard? Was it like walking across broken glass? Did you have to grit your teeth? I mean, there's the military, there's the flag, there's service, there's honor. It's not politically correct. I was what you know me, right? I was what I was watching for that. It, it really isn't. I can tell you there's a couple of little fine things you could pick up on in the movie. There's an enemy country. Tom Cruise has to uh, organize an airstrike or lead and strategize an airstrike against some enemy country that's refining uranium. They never name the country. And the way it's portrayed, you, there's no way to tell where it is or what part of the world it is. We all know what country it would be, right? I mean, who would it be? It's obvious, but they never say. I, that didn't bother me, but if you want to find fault with something, you could find fault with that. But they did a good job with it. Um, so that's my take. 210-599-5555. I, I don't know if Hollywood will take from this what I'm taking from it, but it, it looks to me like if you build it, they will come. If you make this kind of movie, people are tired of woke heroes and woke narratives and movies that feel like a lecture. This is a, you know, tour de force of special effects and spectacular, you know, uh, avionics. Uh, there's carrier landings and takeoffs that obviously were filmed in, in, in real time and just amazing stuff to see for those of us that don't live in that world. Um, and you'll enjoy every minute of it, I think. I do. 210. And you, the, the, this is coming, again, from somebody that is in no hurry to go see another movie. Like, I don't even know what else is out there. But I went to see this, and it was good. The um, Have you heard about the... I mean, it's not a big deal. I, almost, I debated even bringing it up, because I don't think most people know who he is or, or care about this. But uh, Gabe Kapler is the manager of the San Francisco Giants baseball team. And he had announced recently that because of the way things were going in the country, he would no longer take the field for the national anthem. Now, baseball has been mostly out of the line of fire for this anthem protest movement of recent years. But he's upset about Uvalde, and he said, I... I'm just not going to, I don't feel right about the direction of the country, so I'm not going to be in, in on, the, uh, on the national anthem. Players can do what they want, but I won't be out there. Um, and I, I, I read it and I thought, well, who the hell is Gabe Kapler? I mean, you know, 
I know who he is. He he was a baseball player until recently. He was never never one of the great players, but he's become a manager. Um, some managers have said they support what he's doing, but they're not uh, joining in it. Tony Larusa, the manager of the Chicago White Sox, who you may have heard of because he's been in baseball a very long time, made his name as the manager of the Oakland A's in their in their glory days. He's been around a few different places. He's the manager of the White Sox. He says he doesn't agree with what Kapler's doing. I think he's right to be concerned, he told ESPN, with what's happening in our country. Where I disagree is the flag and the anthem are not appropriate places to try to voice your objections. And LaRusso went on to say that he understands what an insult it is to the men and women who served and died in the military when you protest the anthem. So I had a thought about Tony LaRussa and Gabe Kapler and you and me, and I just wanted to spin this out and share this. In all the times that I've heard an athlete or now a manager or coach talk about protesting the anthem, what usually happens is they announce they're going to do it, They do it, and then people either praise them or get angry at them. I don't know, would it it be possible for someone or a, a group of people, and let's say in San Francisco, because Kapler's team plays in San Francisco, would, would it be possible to maybe have a meeting between Gabe Kapler and some veterans because it's easy to tell ESPN what you're doing but I'd like to see him explain it to people who could then in in turn after politely listening to him and I know they would explain to him what it means to them because I really don't think that happens enough and patriotism or respect for a flag or an anthem is learned. You don't you're not born with it. You may think you were. You may you may feel like you were. You may not be able to remember a time when you didn't put your little hand over your heart or but but the truth is you had to learn it. There was a time when you didn't know it. Somebody took your cap off your head the first time. Then you did it yourself afterwards or whatever the case may be. How hard would it be just have that conversation. And then, and then if Gabe Kapler has listened to a Vietnam veteran or a Korean War veteran or a, a Gulf War veteran, if he's truly listened to them and they've conveyed to him the disrespect and the um, insult and he still wants to do it, then I, I say, okay, I'm, 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 I'm done with that. But let's at least have that. And I don't think we do that. I think we just treat it like it's a red versus blue thing. And it's really more than that. I read a book over the weekend um, about the history of Arlington National Cemetery. It was fascinating. I didn't know a lot of these things. I thought I did. It's one of those subjects you think you know. It talked about how it came to be, how it evolved and developed. But one of the fascinating things about Arlington, or, or for that matter, Fort Sam, 
is that the people who work in these cemeteries, this is this is a world for them. I mean, they're it's not just a job. They're in a culture. They're in a they're in a war that has its own traditions, and a lot of it's unwritten, and a lot of it is just doing certain things because they're right, not written. And the reason we have Arlington National Cemetery is because it just was the right thing to do. We used to leave soldiers on battlefields for most of human history. Soldiers died in battle and spent, you know, they slept wherever they fell. That was not considered obscene, wrong, immoral. It was the most normal thing. It's a fairly recent thing to believe that you cannot leave your fallen, you know, comrades in arms behind, that that would be wrong, that that would be unheard of. That even years after a war, we would go trying to find remains or identify remains. It's recent. It's, it's, it, we, have, we have evolved our thinking. We've learned to do that. And so I just, I think Gabe Kapler should have that meeting. If he really believes what he believes... He'll still believe it afterwards. But at least hear them out. We hear the athletes. We hear the protests. He should hear the other side. The book I was talking about is called On Hallowed Ground by an author named Robert Poole. There's a, there's a lot of good books about Arlington National Cemetery. This is the one I happen to read. And, and it, uh, it's, it's definitely, it was, it was the perfect book to have over Memorial Day uh, weekend. Um, you know, they have the, uh, the, uh, tomb of the unknowns that is always never alone, never unaccompanied. And they asked one of the soldiers in that, uh, detachment one time, why, why do you, I mean, if you've ever seen it, you know that they are unflagging and perfect and precise and the question was sort of, you know, you could, you could, you could take it easy, or you could lapse, or you could relax, or you could slouch. I mean, there's no, it's the middle of the night. There's nobody here. Nobody would see you. And he said, he pointed to the tomb, and he said, he would see me. And that's the culture that animates a lot of us. And so. I think the Gabe Kaplers of the world ought to meet the people for whom that anthem and that flag doesn't represent a perfect country, but it represents a country they were willing to and some of their comrades did give their lives for. If we need to understand him, doesn't he need to understand that? 210-599-5555. Kathy is on KTSA. Hi, Kathy. Hi, Jack. Well, I, I, I disagree with what Kaplan, Kaplan's doing, but I realize that the men and women that have fought and died for this country did it so that he has the right to do it. If he tried that right. in Russia, right. how far do you think it would get? Right. You know, and that's the problem. My father fought in World War II, and to this day I can't watch Private Ryan because his stories of hitting Normandy Beach make me cry. And I got so upset watching that, I'll never watch it again. Mm-hmm. And so that's the thing of it. If you grew up with somebody that was of that era, 
that 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 gave the ultimate sacrifice, or their families did, or as my mother said, you never knew who was going to come home. And all I did was pray that he came home. I didn't ask what his mind was going to be like when he came home. I just asked that he came home mm-hmm. because a lot of women didn't get that choice. Right. Right. No, I, I, I hear you, and you're right. He wouldn't have. It, it is a right that has been fought for and paid for in blood, um, and it's a right he has. And I just wonder, and thank you, Kathy, I just wonder if he, if, if, and I'm not talking about a room full of people, like, you know, three, four people, all of whom are veterans, all of whom feel differently. If they could just explain to him, or any of these professional athletes, you're not, when you uh, protest the anthem or the flag, you're not protesting the Republicans or whoever's in office. You're not protesting our gun laws. You're not prote- There are ways to do all those things that are very specific and effective. You're, you're hurting the, um, and you're insulting the memories like the ones Kathy just described. You're insulting people who I don't think you mean to insult. And I say this, I'm going to be sincere. You can say, Jack, you're naive. I, 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 will, I will give Gabe Kapler credit. I don't think he means to insult the people he's insulting. And I don't think he's hurting the people he thinks he's hurting or lodging a complaint against the people he's, he thinks he's lodging a complaint against. I think, it's, I think it's very misguided. Yeah, I have the right to do it. That doesn't make it the right thing to do. But I wish you could have that meaning of the look them in the eye and tell them why you're doing it. And then listen to them tell you why they feel the way they do about it. See, I would think that the endorsement of a guy that hasn't seen a movie in three years might have a little bit of more weight to it. You know, like usually movie reviewers, they see like 10 movies a week. Yeah, but you made the time to go out and see this one based off of three years not seeing movies in a theater. I I didn't remember the weight of the movie theater. I mean, I didn't. I had to. I had to ask. You know, how am I supposed to act here? I don't know these these modern traditions and customs. I don't know how this works. How should I get dressed? Where do to I go? look? Yeah, exactly. Where's the remote? No, I I hadn't been to the movies since I saw Knives Out in late 2019, which was a really good movie too. But um, yeah, if you saw Top Gun Maverick, um, let me know what you thought because I I actually think they. They broke all the all the wokeness, political correctness, tailoring things for the Chinese market, all the things that that plague a lot of mo- modern movie going. This was just a flat out good movie, feel good story, great depiction of of uh, naval aviation, and that's near and dear to my heart from my dad's service. And um, two ten five nine nine fifty five. 55. So the president was in Uvalde on Sunday. And um, before he left, he was on the White House lawn getting set to jump on board Marine One. And he talked about the gun issue in a way that I don't think the mask slipped. I think the mask fell right off. And it's interesting because I'm going to play this for you, but it's interesting because we're getting ready for a week in which Democrats are going to propose a package of gun measures that they believe Republicans will move toward and support, but not if they were listening to President Biden on Sunday. Cut number four. They showed me a, 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 a 
expert who said a 22 caliber bullet will lodge in a lung, and we can probably get it out, maybe able to get it, and save the life. A 9mm bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high caliber weapons is that there is simply no rational basis for it in terms of about self-protection, hunting. I mean, I just, I remember, the Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. There's a lot going on there, obviously, but um, let's start with, no, a 9mm round does not blow the lung out of the body. What the president was talking about in the in the clip was he had, when he was in the Senate and he had passed the assault weapons ban, he had talked to surgeons about gun wounds, and he claims they told him that the smaller caliber uh, wounds are, are, are the bullet lodges in the body, doesn't go through, does less damage. So in his thinking, we should permit you to have guns that are less likely to be lethal. But let's remember that it wasn't so long ago he and others were just talking, oh, we're just talking about assault weapons. We're just talking about weapons of war. In this clip, he's talking about nine millimeters. They're not weapons of war. These are the most common self-defense weapons. 57% of the guns sold in 2019 were nine millimeter handguns in America, sold in America. So if this is a gaffe, this is a big one. Because this sounds like the gun control regimen this time is going to be much more sweeping. We're going much, we're not coming for the AR 15s. We're coming for much more than that. And I think that gives the lie to the idea that Republicans should compromise. But even if the president hadn't made these bizarre remarks about, high-caliber 9mm pistols and the idiocy he displayed about not only uh, guns, but but also about um, the Constitution. I, I think it's important for people to understand that when it comes to our country versus or compared to other countries, and there's a lot is being made of Canada because Canada just unveiled a package of handgun control measures that the Prime Minister there says are necessary. That's a permission-based society. So if you own a gun in a permission-based society, the government is relenting in letting you have it. And the burden... There's no, there's no burden on them. The burden is all on you. Like, remember when you appealed your um, home appraisal? Remember how you had to assemble a case and you had to take pictures and, and build a, a factual foundation for the idea that your appraisal was too high? Remember how they didn't help you? They didn't make any suggestions. They didn't say, we'll meet you halfway. It was all, the burden was all on you. That's, that's how you get a gun in a permission-based society. You have to make the case for it. And if you are politically unpopular, culturally unpopular, if the people in power don't like your kind or your type, 
then you're not getting it. Now, people may be freaked out about guns. If they've never had one, if they've never handled one, we've talked about this. But we're a rights-based society. Our rights predate the government. They're not subject to the government. We don't go to the government and say, may I speak my mind? May I assemble? May I worship? We did in 2020, but that hopefully is an anomaly. There's much more at stake here than just the Democrats' gun control bills. This is about whether we remain a rights-based society or a permission-based society. Um, But I think in a weird way, I celebrate what Biden is saying because I think it makes it harder for his party to convince people that this is no biggie. You know, they keep saying that, but every time he opens his mouth, you find out it is a biggie. (laughs) You find out they want a lot more than just this, that, and the other. This is about much more than just the weapons that the Uvalde killer had or just the weapons that the Buffalo killer had. 210-599-5555. And then the president talks a lot about the gun lobby. And um, he, the first remarks he made after Uvalde, if you remember that night, he, we, we carried his remarks uh, around 7.30 on KTSA, and he, he shook his fists at the sky and said, well, when are we going to do something about the gun lobby? We need to stand up to the gun lobby. And that suggests that we only have guns in America because of the NRA and the lobbying groups that are paid for by the gun manufacturers. And it is a powerful lobby, don't get me wrong. But the gun lobby is not why we have the Second Amendment. The gun lobby is not why you have the right to defend yourself. If we're going to be honest about this, and I wish they would just be honest about it, Michael Moore, of all people, said the most honest thing anyone on the left has said. He was on, I think, MSNBC, And he said, um, we need to repeal the Second Amendment. After Uvalde, it's time to repeal the Second Amendment. Now, I don't agree with him. And I don't think that's going to happen. It would require 38 states to ratify an amendment that repealed the Second Amendment. But that's an honest assessment of what would have to happen. That's what it would take. It's not the gun lobby. It's the Second Amendment. And the Second Amendment is the recognition of a right that predates the Constitution, that predates the founding of the United States of America. Rights predate the structures mankind has built. So whether it was the Articles of Confederation or the Constitution or the states, rights predate all of those. So, why not be honest? If that's what you really want, and that's what we know it would take, then say it. Let's have that discussion. You want to have a discussion about guns in America? Let's have the right one. Congressman Tony Gonzalez was with President and Mrs. Biden on their visit to San Antonio and Uvalde, and he joins us now in the KTSA Connecticut Quality Water Softeners Newsmaker line. Congressman, I know it's a very busy time for you. Thank you for coming on this afternoon. Uh, good. Happy to be back on, Jack. Thank you for having me. Um, 
I, I have to ask you, I watched the interview that you did with Ken's Five, and um, you talked about the time you spent with the president. You talked about the things you told him this community needs. I want to get into that, and I thought it was a very worthy list. I noticed that the anchor kept asking you if you have changed any of your positions on the Second Amendment or gun control in the last week or with recent events. Can I just ask you for a yes or no answer, have you changed any of your positions? I've been very consistent where I'm at, and I think everyone is, like, I'm conservative in who I am, and I think that's exactly where I'm going to be. Um, you know, I, 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 as I said in that interview, I support the Constitution. I support the Second Amendment. And I think what you're seeing right now is you've got folks that want to use this tragedy to further their agenda. I mean, it's very clear that, you know, the, 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 there's a segment that has wanted to take away guns for a long time. And and that's uh, sadly that they're using this to, to, in order to do that. I, I have no interest in that. You know, I, I believe in the Constitution and those that that can you know uh, uh, legally possess firearms. Do I think we need to have a conversation on what is happening in the in our country? Yes, we need to have a very deep conversation. I'm willing to have that with anyone who wants to have that conversation. But what I am not willing to do is to infringe on our Second Amendment rights. Well, so the the House is going to vote on some things, I believe, Thursday. Uh, there's eight gun-related bills. They're calling it the Protecting Our Kids Act. It includes raising the age from 18 to 21 for some guns. It includes um, registering existing bump stocks, uh, bars the manufacture, sale, or possession of new bump stocks, uh, cracks down on ghost guns. Uh, it it uh, affects the transfer uh, or possession of certain so-called high-capacity magazines. I just I'm trying to understand: are you are you open to any of those things where you might not have been before? Because it's a yes or no question, right? Yeah, no. I, I will. Like we're still we're still combing through it all. But I'll tell you, I'm a no. I'm a no. And they're not trying. Uh, they're not trying to have a conversation and go, how do we prevent, you know, uh, another uh, uh, senseless, violent act in our schools from occurring? That's not the conversation, Jack. The conversation is we want to do all these things. Oh, by the way, they, there haven't been any uh, hearings or any discussion on it. It's just, hey, we have the high ground, right? We have the House, we have the Senate, we have the White House. And we we're going to shove this down your throat. You know, I mentioned, you know, you mentioned earlier about mental health. I've been jumping up and down going, hey, can we start here? You know, instead of, hey, can we start where you take my guns away or not? Can you can we start with mental health? And and I'm going to continue to push on that route. But I mean, I'll, I'll be honest right now, the package that they're putting together, it's it, it so it, the package that they're putting together would not have prevented duality from occurring. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm focused on. I'm looking at, hey, how do we prevent, uh, one, how do I strengthen my community as we get through this? Hell, we, I just got done with a funeral. I mean, can we, can we bury our dead before, you know, the, the politics starting, the, the long-night mm -hmm. politics start coming out? Uh, but as you know, I mean, there's this segment that they don't care about that. This is that one thing. This is an agenda item, and, and they're just looking to take advantage of an agenda item. So – you say you asked President Biden for three things during his visit to Uvalde. What were those three things? 
Yeah, first I asked him uh, leading up to it to go, you know, Mr. President, I, I don't mind hosting you and I want your day to be successful, but, you know, please keep politics out of it. You know, we're trying to heal. There'll be a, a moment for that. Please not make it about that. And I would say he honored that, uh, you know, kind of a fact-finding mission. Three things I asked him for was uh, $25 million for a mental health hospital. I, I appropriated $2 million, $2 million uh, last year, we, so we need $23 million. I asked him for $13.5 million for uh, a com- uh, communication radio so everyone in the county can be on the same network. Some of the, the, the misinformation or disinformation that's going around is you had – uh, different agencies on different networks. We all need to be on the same network, uh, radio network. And then the last thing I asked him for was a, a new uh, emergency operations center. And, you know, there's over 200 law enforcement officers from across the state, and they're operating out of an old museum, uh, aviation museum. So those are the three things in particular that I said, hey, look, I'm glad you came. I appreciate you coming. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you were able to, to kind of listen to folks. But if you now we need action. And here's three things that makes sense that we need to we need to act on mm-hmm. when you heard the governor say last week that he was misled by local officials um what do you know about that and, and, and do you agree that he was you know anytime you have a situation that is uh that is unexpected like this there's so many things flying i, I would say I get my information differently than some of these other elected officials. I mean, I know these people, Jack. I mean, I, I know them personally. So, I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, when I got the, the text message that there was an active shooter alert, literally two minutes after I got that, one minute after, as soon as I got that, I'm calling the sheriff. And he answers. And I go, hey, is this real? And he goes, hey, Tony, I'm in the middle, I'm in the middle of this thing. Can I call you back? So that told me it was real. What I'm getting at is I think people are getting their information from different places and uh, they don't have all the, the full facts yet. Um, a lot of my information, all of my information has come from direct source people on the ground, in the room, in the stack, in the hallway, uh, at the at the, the hospital, uh, you know, or the ambulance that was running people back and forth. So it's a little bit different. Well, um we're going to see a federal investigation. We've got the Ranger investigation. Um, the it, it seems like local authorities have already decided they're they're being thrown under the bus here and and don't want to cooperate with the Ranger investigation. Um, I guess I'm I'm wondering who do you trust to get to the bottom of things like. Uh, lapses of security at the school and uh, maybe response time and not breaching the door of the classroom. Who do you trust, Congressman? Yeah, no, uh, I, I, you know, I, I actually was literally just, I'm in Uvalde right now, and I just left, uh, uh, you know, some folks that, that I, I would say are cooperating with the Rangers and will cooperate with the Rangers. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, I'm a cryptologist. I trust the data. You know, people people have no problems lying to you, but will a camera, you know, if there's body camera uh, footage, will that lie to you? If there's a timestamp of when folks called in, will that lie to you? But I, I'll give you an example. I mean, look, the, 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 the sheriff, uh, you know, when he, he didn't get a 911 call to the grandmother's house that was shot by the assailant. So, I mean, these are some of the, the, the details that haven't made it out just yet. 
So that is some of our conversation with uh, Congressman Gonzalez uh, earlier. Uh, he was in Uvalde with President Biden uh, and others on Sunday and said that he uh, had time to talk to the president directly. Um, here's my question for you, I and not just about Congressman Gonzalez, but the are the Republicans getting this moment, do you think? Because I think the Democrats believe the door is open. I think they see their opportunity, the, the, the anti-Second Amendment Democrats. They're, they're doing what their base expects them to do right now. They're answering the call they believe sent them to Washington or Austin or their state capitol. But are the Republicans who got the votes of and have the base of either literal gun owners, or maybe you don't own a gun, but you support the Second Amendment, you do not want gun control, you do not want the government disarming its people. So it may be real to you or principal to you. Thirty-eight on five fifty and one zero seven one KTSa. We'll have the results on the Stevens Roofing JR poll. We're asking you if you haven't voted yet. I'd love to talk to you about this. Um, who who do you trust to investigate the Uvalde response? We know that this shooter was the shooter. We and the killer, and there'll be no trial for him. He's not going on trial. They don't have to build a case. They don't have to prove that he did it. The, the the investigation is about how he did it, what ex, uh, vulnerabilities or um, gaps he exploited, and how did he know about them or did he know about them, and the response to this attack on the school. And I have to tell you, every time we talk about this, I, it, it's awkward for me. I don't know if you can tell. It's hard for me because my instinct is to put my arms around law enforcement people and defend them. I appreciate them. They have helped me. I've had family members serve in law enforcement. I have friends who do serve in law enforcement. I see what they go through. I respect them. You and I would not do what they do. You couldn't pay us to do it. And I believe these were not bad people. I don't think anybody that responded was a was a a bad person. But there's something, and I've tried very hard to, 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 to change my own mind about this, there is something wrong with this response. And really wrong. Not a little wrong. Not like we're, you know, nitpicking or really wrong. So who do you trust to figure that out? Report to all of us. 210-599-5555. Maybe the answer is no one. We've talked on this show before about the death of expertise, meaning there was a time when a person or an institution could be the acknowledged expert or acknowledged authority in something, 
And if they handed down the verdict, that was it. People accepted it. They said, well, that's the best, he's the best person, or she's the biggest expert, or they're the best outfit on that. So if they say X, Y, and Z, that's the way it, that's the way it is. And we really don't have that anymore. A lot of the people that had that frittered away their own credibility. They became political or they chose sides. They chose celebrity over credibility. And sometimes you can't have both. Believe it or not, and you're going to laugh when I say this, there was a time when Anthony Fauci was that kind of an expert. Maybe not deservedly so, but he was. He frittered it away. Who would you trust? 210-599-5555. There was a weird story in the news, and this has been treated as kind of a, you know, funny little thing at the end of the newscast. Did you see what happened at the Louvre? in Paris over the weekend. A guy went into the Louvre and threw cake on the Mona Lisa. And he claimed as he was smearing cake that he was fighting for planet Earth. And he was defending planet Earth. The painting is all right because it has protective glass over it. There have been a number of attacks on the Mona Lisa over the years. But this guy was saving the planet, he said. Have you ever noticed how many people who claim to be saving the planet do the most crazy, I mean, really just whacked out things? Kind of gives the planet a bad name. Like the planet's like, hey, if these are, if these are my defenders, <laughs> I don't have a chance. Earth is like, get me better defenders. So this could be just a funny story. What a weirdo. (laughs) But in a way, I would suggest to you that this guy, this would-be vandal of the Mona Lisa, this is kind of an extreme version of cancel culture. Have you ever noticed that it's always people that can't create, they can only destroy, they can't make, they can only deface what others have made? They can't achieve. They can only run down the achievement of others. They're not doing anything great or even good, but people who did are racists or bad or the problem. People who will never have anything named for them love taking other people's names off of buildings. People will never create anything of beauty or significance, pleasure in destroying the creation of others. So this guy's just an extreme example of that. He's he's a sign of the times. Maybe their boss was more concerned about the police than they were the children. I can't get in that. I'm not a mind reader. Right. No, I understand. I'm not trying to hold you to it. I just those to me those are the questions and I'm sorry about your dad and uh I honor his his service and I thank you for telling that story, Jim. I I think those are the things that that I wonder about. I'm not I'm not going the, these were good people, okay? They may or may not have done it right and I think it's worth finding out why they didn't. I don't want to know that because I have some sort of vendetta to carry out against them. I want to know that because we need to know that. We are owed that. And hopefully we can know it. 210-599-5555.
hopefully we can get it in a, in a form that will seem trustworthy to us. I know this sounds very naive, even as I hear myself saying, I'm like, are you kidding me? But I, I still want to believe we're capable of getting truth and telling truth. I don't want to believe we've completely lost that. On the uh, JR poll powered by Stevens Roofing, the question was, who do you trust to investigate the Uvalde response? Um, 84% say they trust the Texas Rangers. 10% say they don't trust any of the investigating people. And 6% say they trust the Department of Justice. And we'll have a new JR poll tomorrow when we get started at 4. You can find it anytime at KTSA.com. And you can find our show on demand anytime. If, if 4 to 7 p.m. is just not a good listening time for you, you got other stuff going on, you get busy, uh, you can hear our show in its entirety anytime. Whole show podcasts available on the Jack Riccardi page of KTSA.com. And typically, the, the, the show, like the show we're just finishing, it takes a few hours to get up there. So it'll be up there later on tonight and on demand. This was kind of a weird story about uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband. I said this over the weekend. Uh, Paul Pelosi. Uh, picked up for DUI near their uh, mansion in Napa Valley. He crashed his Porsche and had a uh, blood alcohol level over the legal limit. Um, I'm not going to make any jokes here because it's very. This is a serious thing. Somebody could have been hurt or killed. There's so many jokes, but I'm not going to make them. You know what I actually. What I actually wonder about with a story like this, and this is just going to be totally off the wall, so forgive me, this is probably not the reaction you're expecting from me at all, but I will never understand why wealthy people ever, ever get DUIs. Not that you and I have any excuse, but if you've got the kind of money they do, shouldn't you have a driver? Anyway, I mean, we can Uber and, and should, or we can have a designated driver, and we should. I'm not saying if you're under a certain income, it's okay to be a drunk driver. I'm just saying, well, why, why was he driving? If it was even in question, if he'd even had an amount that was just, you know, borderline. I know people say that all the time, right? Oh, I've had that before, and I wasn't drunk, or I've had that before. But... I don't, I don't get it. Celebrities, stars, this, these people are made of money. They're rolling in money. She's got a freezer just for ice cream. Um, what, why was he driving? I guess it's tough, too, when you own a vineyard. <laughs> that's, like, that's almost like profiling, right? I mean... I don't know. Not, nothing for me, thanks. But anyway, I'm glad nobody got hurt. And his lawyers, by the way, are saying it's all a mistake. They have to say that, I guess. But I don't know. I love to drive, and I drive all the time, and I'm always the driver, and I'm the designated driver because I really don't drink. But if, uh, if I had their money and I was going to have anything, a glass of wine, a beer, just just bring, you know, 
Schmedley or whatever the driver's name is. I'd, I'd have a show. I mean, with their money, I'd actually have a uniform chauffeur. I'm going all in. Gloves, the hat. I sit in the back. You know what I mean? Just saying. My non-solicited legal advice. See you back here on the radio at 4 tomorrow.